Hey, welcome to Emmaus Way, guys. Glad you're here. If you want to come in and grab something to drink and uh, grab your liturgy, it's two pages tonight, so don't miss that. They kind of look the same if you don't look closely, so I want to make sure you get two pages. We're going to start with our call together, which is a song uh, called Blessed by Lucinda Williams that we've done, and that's almost a speak singing song. It's pretty simple, so I'm sure you'll catch on if you haven't heard it before. And it's sort of a song that's like a modern retelling of the Beatitudes or Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, reminding us that um, the things that we think we're blessed for is oftentimes not what the kingdom tells us that we're blessed for, that Jesus tells us we're blessed for. We were blessed by the minister, practiced what he preached. Blessed by the poor man who said that heaven was within reach We were blessed by the girl selling roses who showed us how to live Blessed by the neglected child who knew how to forgive We were blessed by the battered woman who didn't seek revenge we were blessed by the warrior who didn't need to win Blessed by the blind man who could see for miles and miles We were blessed by the fighter who didn't fight for the prize We were blessed by the mother who gave up the child. We were blessed by the soldier who gave up his life. We were blessed by the teacher who didn't have a degree. We were blessed by the prisoner who knew how to be free. Yeah, we were blessed. We were blessed. We were blessed. 
Good evening. Welcome to Emmaus Way. Um, I am Josh, if you do not know me. Um, here at Emmaus Way, we're a group of uh, friends who get together here in, uh, in Durham and uh, try and live into God's redemptive work in this community uh, and the communities around it. Um, a couple of announcements before we get started. Um, uh, just sort of generally, uh, for those of you, this is your first time, if you'll direct yourself. Tonight there are two sheets, so to the bottom of the second sheet. Um, it's got some ways that you can connect uh, within our community. We have a group that goes out to dinner after church on Sunday nights. Um, we have a pub group that gets together on Thursday nights down at Bull McCabe's um, on Main Street in Durham. And we have a, gr- a variety of home groups that get together throughout the week. Um, so contact information for all those people is there on the sheet. Um, also, if you're interested in helping set up or with hosting, which means you get to cook yummy food and put it on that table back there, um, if you're interested in doing that, um, you can contact my wife, who's sitting right over here. Or if you're interested in helping with our kids, uh, who are uh, right over here through the store, um, you can contact Amanda Schaefer, and her email address is on there. Um, <clears throat> a couple of upcoming events. Um, this Tuesday is, uh, is a big vote here in North Carolina. And so in addition to sort of reminding you to vote, um, Sarah and I wanted to let people know that both of us are sort of off on that day. And so if you need a ride to the polls, we would be happy to, uh, to drive you or work out a way to get you to the polls. So uh, again, Sarah's contact information is on there, but you can grab one of us after the service. Um, also, Wade and uh, a couple of other regulars here at Emmaus Way, Tim Carlos and Dale Baker, are going to be playing a set at Parker Notice this Friday night at 6 o'clock. So I would encourage you to come out to that. Um, we have an Ecclesia meeting, which is our sort of uh, quarterly conversation where we talk about uh, church business and trying to think about how uh, we want to move forward as a community. Um, that's taking place on May 20th. So on those evenings, the worship gathering is shortened just a little bit, and uh, there will be pizza. So uh, I, if you haven't been to one of those, I would encourage you to stick around, really get a good sense of uh, what goes on in the community. Um, and then the Sunday after that, so the 27th, we will be having a Memorial Day cookout uh, at the Jake's after the service. So for those of you who don't know the Jake's, live just, what, about five or six blocks um, down Watt Street. So uh, there will be a mass exodus after the service down the street, um, and you can follow us for that. Did I, did I miss anything? I think that's... Okay. I, I think that's all for now. Back to Wade. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, we wanted to uh, mention the Parker Notice thing, not just about me, but I, I'm hopeful that um, we... Um, well, to back up, we've been looking for a venue around the area where we could have uh, some of us uh, do something that would be very casual, a place where people could invite people if they wanted to drink beer, a place they could invite them if they just wanted coffee or if they wanted to just grab some food um, where all ages would be welcome and where we could sort of do some of this music that we do around here um, in a venue where it would be uh, casual enough for people to just listen if they wanted or if they wanted to sort of pick up on 
this idea of Emmaus Way being involved in the community. We're already involved in Durham Can, as you know. We're involved with Antioch Builds Community and trying to have our, our uh, life be with Durham rather than something that's separate from it is a part of why we're trying to do this um, with Parker Notice. So we'll see how it goes, and hopefully we'll have more of us like Mark and others uh, do some stuff there. So we'll see how it goes how it works this week. I um, wanted to look at um, this song all along the Watchtower, which we've done before, and um, which has uh, been done in many famous versions from the writer Bob Dylan to, um, you know, uh, Jimi Hendrix or uh, uh, many others. And so um, the interesting thing about the simple language is, is that it's, it's easy to miss that this is sort of a counter story uh, song where the Joker... Um, is um, you know, and the thief are having this conversation, and uh, that the uh, Joker is really kind of Dylan himself, or or the uh, the storyteller, the um, person who's bringing up this alternative story, and therefore the Joker, and then the thief really is the Messiah, and this idea of a a new world order, and so as you look at this song, uh, then the watchtower and sort of the gates of the city are being held by people who want the status quo to stay the same. And so the Joker and the Thief are talking outside the gate, sort of saying that actually love is going to take the place of this sort of security and this idea of um, monetary um, safety. And that's why we get to the end, and it's the money safe and the thief he take, kind of talking about this idea of culture turning upside down. So uh, sing along on this. There must be some kind of way out of here Said the joker to the thief Too much confusion here I can't get no Businessmen, they drink my wine Plowmen dig my earth None of them along the line Know what any of it is worth No reason to get excited The thief, he kindly spoke There aren't many here among us Feel that life is but a joke But you and I, we've, we've been through that This is not our fate Let us not talk falsely now The hour is getting Servants too, but outside in the cold. 
you were trying to think of the Lenny Kravitz version. That's, That's the one. I, I could see it on your... And yeah, it, I was brain. thinking Dave Matthews, actually, but thank you for that yeah, one. Too. There's actually, a million I just... Yeah, that's one of my favorite versions of that. You know, and I, I guess, and this is not uh, uncommon for me, but I, a lot of times I'm really clueless about powerful pieces of poetry. And it's interesting that... Until we started doing that song about seven or eight years ago, when we first started going, I didn't realize how what a powerful gospel song that is of an inversion of the person that's outside the city is really the one that has the the the, the true sense of message, and that's a it's a great gospel gospel story. So, hey, it's good to see everybody here today. Um, just a quick couple things. I had one little commentary. Um, just wanted to reaffirm uh, you guys playing on uh, Parker and Otis. Uh, Josh said that well. One of the things that we're committed to as a community as we gather in the round and we gather to dialogue every week is not only to dialogue but to dialogue publicly you know it's different you know speech is different when it's accountable speech you know, it's really easy to you know sit in front of your television and critique the referee or the president or the president's opponent or whoever it is it's it's not accountable speech so to speak but when speech moves to public forums it becomes much more accountable to either action or imagination that we're going to be talking about tonight or critique and all of those things. and So one of the things as a community that we're very interested in is always thinking about the things we do, whether it's, whether it's a, a political expression of the gospel, whether it's a, a words that express that, to do it in public space from time to time. And one of the things that I, I think our music is always crafted to be a liturgical shape of the conversation that we're doing. And so it's great to be able to do that in, in public space. So uh, thank you, Wade, for working on that. I know that took some energy to get Parker noticed on that, so we're glad for that. Hey, Jesse, you had a quick update for just a party, hopefully, celebration type thing. Yeah, so uh, there's actually another event happening much like this. Uh, Wednesday night at Full Steam, uh, the Wild Goose Festival, they've been they've been really um, advocating against this uh, marriage amendment, and, uh, and, and, and my band, The Pickering Raid, is going to play a set at this rally they're having 
on Wednesday, so this is the day after the, uh, the vote, and, uh, and we're all hoping that it's going to be a celebration uh, of, of uh, the, the denial of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for that just because uh, I think Caesar tries to get his hands in too many places they don't belong, and this is, this is one of them. Um, and uh, so my friend Alex Wilkins is going to play a set. He's got a band called Trip, and um, they've got a new record out. Our record just uh, is coming out this month. Uh, thanks a lot to Mark Williams, who produced most of it. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. Wednesday night at 7. And my backup vocals, of course. Right. <laughs> Come on, Jesse. You know, you know people that get, yeah, they start talking my record, and it's the backup singer that gets kind of left out of the whole deal. Yeah. So full steam. Yeah. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Outstanding. Uh, most of you probably would need directions to full steam, so you, we can help you with that uh, later. Uh, right. Um, so a uh, couple quick things. Uh, and Wild Goose is coming up. There's a lot of things happening. If you didn't do the Wild Goose Festival, it's, it'll be in June. Josh and Sarah are very involved, and uh, they can, they'll tell us more about that as that, that gets closer. Uh, I was in Minnesota with a lot of folks that were a part of that. I was just really excited about it. No, I was going to say, if you want to... Like, know more about the festival. I was involved last year and sort of involved in some of the planning conversations for this year. But also, if you would like to attend the festival for free, you can do that if you want to volunteer and uh, you can help me greet people coming into the site and uh, get them situated in a parking space. So, yeah. Given the fact that it was 97 degrees, I'm almost sure I'll be housing someone this year. I have a feeling somebody's <laughs> going to call like uh, three days before, dude, man, can I just stay at your house and drive over to Silent? You know, yeah. I definitely. So, and also a quick apology tonight. Uh, I'm going to, after our dialogue's done, in, even before the table tonight, I'm going to spin out to Winston-Salem. Mimi's out of town, and I've got a kid to pick up uh, before it gets too dark out there uh, at the end of a soccer game. And I'm, we, we, weren't like in, we weren't cool with like the 16-year-old driving in the dark tonight. So anyway, so if you see Mimi, Kendall and I scoot out, that's, that's why we're heading tonight. But let me give you a quick rewind, uh, just a couple bullet points of a conversation that we're in. Uh, which has been a great conversation, by the way. Last week, we, we talked about this whole idea of, of being peculiar in love. And we're in 1 John, and, and 1 John is uh, it's, it's kind of fun to preach because... Each paragraph repeats the thing that was said in the previous paragraph, uh, which is it was a challenge in and of itself. But in some ways, it's describing something that is very difficult to get. That in, that the the people who follow God and communities that anticipate the work of God and participate in the work of the God are supposed to be peculiar. Peculiar. They're supposed to be different. They're supposed to express love in a way that invokes our imagination, that invokes our sense of knowing, whether in a very small way or in larger ways, the things that God is doing redemptively in the world. And so we've been attaching this whole idea of witness to the notion of being peculiar in our acts of love. And that's exactly what, what uh, John does in that letter. It constantly refers to these great works of Christ, these atoning works of Christ, and saying because they've been done, we're free to respond in love. We're free to form communities that reek 
of the smell and the aroma of embodied love and the embodied love of God. So we've been in this conversation. Last week I asked people to tell stories of things that you saw that were beautifully peculiar, things that were embodiments of love. And we could have sat here till 1030, um, and I don't know that we would have run out of stories. And I really appreciated your taking that seriously and looking all week long and looking in relationship, looking in the paper, looking in the media and being able to share those stories. Uh, we, we delight in this practice of dialogue, which I think is a spiritual practice. It's a community forming practice. It's a text building ta- practice. When you do that, when you take the work, when you think and you imagine and you come ready to speak, it's, it's very appreciated. So tonight we're going to take in, jump into another portion uh, from the lectionary in First John. We're in chapter 4. Jenny's going to read it for us. Uh, you'll hear very, very familiar uh, uh, sentences and imperatives in this. But here's one of the things that I want to ask you to do as you're listening to this. Um, listen to some of the declarations of this and try to attach how significant imagination is to be able to embrace, embrace the declarations that John is giving us. Jenny, you want to give us a shot? Yeah, come on. Sure. 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The word of the Lord. Definitely. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jenny. So, I mean, just to grab a few phrases out of this, I mean, doesn't some of the simple declarations of this text require us to detach ourselves sometimes from reality or to invoke 
or anticipate a different reality. So John is writing, it's, it's pretty sectarian. He's writing to people in the church, the, the God followers, so to speak, and he's describing their love for each other. Now, I've just had like two or three weeks, and you have weeks like this. I've had two or three weeks where I have been overwhelmed with declarations of people who are following God and disliking each other. Uh, uh, Different communities that dislike each other, theological strains that dislike each other, people who are suspicious of what is the evident work of God. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how incredibly common that is. So just reading those words for me tonight, it takes some imagination for me to realize Wow, there, it, it could be, it's possible that we would uh, embrace people, we in the kind of collective we of, of, the, of Christendom, that uh, worship differently, think differently, pray differently, uh, and speak to the same God, so to speak. So that takes imagination. But think about some of the other aspects of this. Even invoking God's love, if, if you've been like me, You've probably been in a moment in your life, a time when there was a great chance for something to happen, that if it indeed happened, that would have been the evidence of God's love for you. We've all been in those moments of deep desperation or sadness or sadness for someone else, which is even harder sometimes when you're invoking God's mercy on someone else and it it doesn't seem to happen. So even saying God's love is a, a challenging thing or love being perfected. And I feel like if I were an honest, like, just overwhelmingly confession-practicing person, I think I would confess all day long. Because there are many days that I'm deeply aware of how imperfect love is in me. Or fear being cast out in love. I mean, all of us, if we could have a conversation tonight, we won't. But we could have tonight, it's like... What kind of fears paralyze you? What are the things that when you look ahead or think about or look in your current situation and you kind of go, oh my gosh, these things are... They're just way too important to me. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is being a parent of a junior in high school. It seems like our family is constantly talking about uh, life in college and where we're going to college and how we're going to pay for college. And it just feels like one big fear fest, kind of a fear palooza. The next time we're doing that, we'll invite you guys over just to kind of pitch in and tell your worst story as a part of that. So that's something that requires imagination for me, being made perfect in love. So John is asking us to do something that isn't necessarily common to us or common to our experiences. And and let's think about it this way. We live in a world where so many of our conversations or our discourses are destructive discourses. They're imagination-destroying discourses. Uh, Josh said this really well in text group this week. I want to footnote him on this because here we are invoking and saying that we need to be people who have a prayerful imagination, but so much of our conversation does exactly the opposite. It robs us of the ability to imagine. I'll give you an example. Let's use a simple one of politics. Let's start with the left and then we'll work our way to the right. Um, so I, I was preparing a, a paper a couple weeks ago, and you'll hear more about that in a second. But I was looking at um, kind of political discourse as a part of my writing. And I was using kind of clips from uh, YouTube and all over the net to kind of frame this theoretical paper I was writing. And I got to, who is it, Senator Rubio, is that right, of Florida? And, you know, he's coming, you know, to the Senate floor. And, and, and this is a class, by the way, that, that, that focuses 
on social class in our culture and the absence of social classes and looks at demographic trends. And he gets in front of the mic. It's so sincere and so hopeful and all of those things and says, you know, America really has two classes. Any other thing is you're missing the point. And it's people who are the haves and the soon-to-haves. But there's very little evidence that the soon-to-haves will ever have if you look at any type of, of honest statistic in our culture. But if you were to accept that framing, wow, how would that give you, what perspective would you have of people who are not haves right now? You know, this is a community, this is not an economic have community, so to speak, but we know that we have lots of cultural affluence in this community in terms of degrees and uh, the things that we've done to kind of reach this point in our life. Um, But our experience seems to say it doesn't work that way, that, that everyone who doesn't have something is not because they failed in some way, form, or fashion, or they're going to get it soon. I mean, I'm still waiting. I prayed so earnestly to God that I would be an NFL quarterback. And you know, I'm thinking, you know, with the concussion thing going on, maybe that was a great answer to prayer. But, but that kind of political dialogue is the type of dialogue that frames our thinking so that we're not able to maybe see poverty and respond to poverty. Now, here's the flip side of this. I was with a good friend. This was four years ago, and we were speaking at some deal, and we were sharing a hotel room, and we were listening to stump speeches. And and Obama did a couple of big stump speeches. And he is, and this person's a pastor, you know, we're both theologically trained, and Obama goes into his speech, and it was a beautiful speech, uh, but my friend Doug stopped and said, you know, that's an, you may not know this word, that was an eschatological speech. That is a, a speech that describes, in some ways, the future reign of God. <laughs> but, but he's promising it from himself. And, and the language was like a, a great, great sermon, so to speak. But he was co-opting the eschaton and saying, as a politician, I can bring this to you. Uh, I've got hope for you. And, and though, you know, here's two Obama supporters sitting in front of the TV going, no, that's not where our hope comes from. You're framing a promise that in some ways might deaden our sense as God's people to say, we are collaborative with God in terms of working together to bring the reign of God uh, on this earth. So what I say is, just as a simple example, the political dialogue in our culture is one of those examples where, whether it's from the left or the right, we're presented with a ditch. And as long as we stay in the space defined by both of those kind of conversations, we are probably going to be a people who lack imagination. Sports is another great example of this. I love watching the interviews at the end of a game of a millionaire saying, dude, we went to war, we've battled and we've fought, we survived, we reached down deep, I found myself in the zone, you know, and you're like, you're just kind of throwing a ball in a circle. (laughs) There's probably not a lot of warfare going on there. But in some ways, maybe your use of that language deadens the fact that there is incredible strife going on in our world. Give me an example. Can you give me an example of, of, of types of discourses or conversations or the way we talk in our culture um, but, uh, that, that in some ways deadens our imagination to where when we hear these words about love, loving each other, embodying love, working to be part of God's redemptive mission, we kind of scratch our heads and say, I have no idea what that is. Can somebody give me an example? 
This could be a, a, a big topic. I use two big topics, but it could be something pretty specific as well, like a book you read, a film you saw, a conversation you had with somebody. Well, probably you all haven't recently been in a Christian bookshop, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> These little ornaments, they have little angels, except they're not kind of angels as depicted in scripture, but they're angels, you know, they're like little babies with wings. And it's very sweet. And I think that can deaden our sense of what love yeah, you know, sometimes, and I, I know I'm bad about this, but things that we tend to get sentimental about often rob us of a much greater reality. Uh, when I feel the sentimental impulse coming up in me, it's often that I'm substituting it from some sort of deeper sense. And a lot of times our Christian language makes God very sentimental uh, rather than real in some sense. It's a great example, Henry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think our language of tradition is a very comfortable one to fall back to. Like sports is an easy one to think of, or just anything. You think about, you know, your alumni of some school, you kind of fall back to this dialogue of the tradition of this, the tradition of that. And then once you kind of fall into that discourse, it eliminates some of the possibilities that don't fall within tradition. Because if we'll. We've done this for a hundred years. This is this is how it goes. This is why we're great. This is why we don't like the other school. This is why all these things because of that that language that I think can completely shut us down from uh, trying to understand well why like what is the root of all of that? It's tradition. Tradition can certainly be crafted as a narrative that says that new things, new expressions cannot happen. I mean, I, I think we see that. I think the, 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 historically, the Christian community has probably been made itself a victim of that in, so very often by not being able to imagine new spaces and new times and new ways. Uh, I, I used to do youth ministry for a long time, and you know, one of the things that was a classic example of uh, the Christian community trying to deal with adolescence, which was a new social phenomenon post-World War II with very traditional ways such that it took people outside the church to some way to th- figure that out because the Christian community was was deadened to it. It's a great example. Anybody else? Yeah, Mark. I'm going to say how I, I think film as an art form has such possibility, and yet most of what we find at sort of the multiplex, you know, cheapens when you talk about love, viewing every everything about sacrificial love or um, anything beyond like just basic romantic attraction. Is, is sort of just steamrolled over by most popular film in this country, at least. Um, we, when we were living in Samoa, we watched a lot of films because there was nothing else to do. So we watched a lot of films and Netflix delivered to, to our island. So, so we watched. I'd like to see that boat rowing with the, with the Williams. <laughs> <laughs> the mail only got there on Saturday, so like every Saturday we go and just we try to have a Netflix film to make it through the week. Yeah. But but since we've been back here, like we just there are other things to do and it's easier to watch sort of popular film than it is to dig deeper. So I don't know, I, I even have a friend who writes scripts um, for film and writes screenplays and he had said that one of the guys he had talked to who was a manager had said, Look, the only like surefire way to get anything done get anybody to make your film is you just have to take a film that's already been made 
and then just change it around a little bit. Like, just change some of the characters, do this or that. And you start to realize how many of the films we see are the exact same story, you know? Oh, I remember a really original movie where this guy meets this girl early, but they don't recognize each other, and then they spend like two... I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, it's amazing, and I know those of you, Mark's a professional artist, a lot of you make your living in art and expression, and you probably feel this very powerfully, that there's a template as to the way it should be produced. And, and that template, in some ways, can completely short-circuit the idea of crafting something that might say something different. I mean, that's why the, uh, all along the Watchtower is a powerful... You know, you start reading the Gospels and putting in one hand this idea of what Jesus was supposed to say as a first-century rabble-rouser, Galilean, uh, and, and what he actually said and you realize that counter-story to kind of cultural imagination is almost the essence of gospel proclamation. Let me give you an example of, 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 of what I was writing about. I was writing um, in this, this paper about uh, the, this idea of hegemony, the idea that in some ways culture often works in that way where someone has the high ground and they dominate someone else. Well, that's what Mark's talking about in terms of film template. And the person I was reading, one of the points they made that's really interesting is that what you see around certain types of subordination is actually what what he calls common sense. And what he meant by common sense is literally kind of a contradictory consciousness of people who participate in their own subordination. They are people that in some way are unable to look beyond their situation and so they actually help their own support. For example, a lot of us like uh, Zizek, and uh, this is, I'll hopefully get this right, in Desert of the Real, I was watching this, or maybe it's the Pervert's Guide to Cinema. Josh, what, do you know which, you know what I'm going to say? Yeah, yeah. So, so he makes this point that, that talking about apocalyptic films, because we've made all, it may be Pervert's Guide to Cinema, but he's talking about uh, apocalyptic films. And we've made so many Bruce Willis get on the spaceship, fly across the galaxy, drill a hole in an asteroid that blows apart, or, or maybe Earth blows apart, that we can imagine an apocalyptic scenario of the destructive uh, force that destroys our world much more easily than in his mind we can imagine an economic system that is fair and egalitarian for everybody. So in other words, an absence of poverty, you say that, and everybody goes, that could never happen. Even though the Hebrew prophets and the Hebrew scriptures described a social system where poverty was never to be passed down from generation to generation. But we say, I can't imagine that. But dude, I really can't imagine Bruce Willis on a spaceship flying his way into an asteroid, you know, uh, and Liv Tyler crying on the other end of the, you know, I mean, I can get that, so to speak. Um, we, the point being, it's very difficult for us to see what imprisons us. So I'm a geek in this, but you know, I watched Hunger Games last week after church, and, and I remember the feeling when I watched The Matrix for the first time. And you know, when I watched The Matrix for the first time, I was like ready to wet myself. I was like, oh, that's what it's all about. I mean, literally, they're just describing a scenario of, of, of us 
unable to imagine the context that we're in. And, and it amazes me, it makes me feel good that something like The Hunger Games, uh, which really wasn't a great movie, but, you know, but, but, but the, the narrative is asking people to imagine something that is different than the world that they think that they're living in. So we're resisting against this whole idea. But understand, it's like being at the beach. You know that feeling when the wave that's coming in is way bigger than what you want to hit you, but it's that point where you're being sucked right into that wave and you know you're going to tumble in the sand. Um, In some ways, that's what our culture tends to do to our imagination. But there are profound acts of resistance. And it'll be reframed later for us, but we certainly see the table as a profound act of resistance. We certainly see the the gathering of community in God's name uh, without some sort of prerequisite that we all like each other, think each other's the best friend possible, but gathering and sharing intimate life with each other, we see that as an act of of resistance. And so tonight, one of the things we wanted to do is invite you into a worship gathering that invokes that mindset, that we understand that, you know, Mark has been encouraged to write a film that looks like every other film that's ever been made, Saul Part 73 or whatever you're working on in your, your brain right now. But this idea of being God's people who read the Gospels And see the love of God embodied by the person of Christ invokes in us a sense of imaginary resistance of saying it can and it will be different. And we use the will part because we can skip to the end of the, we we can skip the revelation and we can see this great banquet feast that in some ways takes this little table that we have back here and makes it colossal, so to speak. So we want to ask you to do that tonight. So turn in your liturgy uh, sheet. to the prayers of the people. I don't know if you think about this, but I am often not a great prayer because often my prayers are guttural shouts, which are appropriate prayers, but sometimes they're not holistic prayers. But when we gather around a text like this, I think this is is from the Book of Common Prayer, Form 6 tonight. Um, This is a prayer that's asking us to imagine God invading different realities. So I'm going to ask you to uh, kind of go through like a little three-step process with me tonight. One is we're going to pray this liturgy together, which asks us to think about things that we might think can never happen. For some of you, you might be thinking sin could never be forgiven. I got a couple things in my, my kind of personal resume that can never be forgiven. Grace can never happen. That might be your absence of imagination. Your absence of imagination might be, this is one a big one for me, is sometimes I, I live to love people, but I find myself sometimes thinking it's difficult for me to realize that God loves people, loves you, more than I do. And, and if I don't get that right, it, it positions me 
very inappropriately in terms of God's work. So let's, we're going to do the prayers of the people, and then Wade is going to um, invite us to, I think tonight we wanna, we're going to listen to this song and, and listen in contemplative prayer. It's a, a song that invokes us to imagination. And then the back end of this, part three, I'm going to ask you just to share a few imaginative stories, uh, really what-if stories. What if we, meaning us in this room, what if we, meaning Christendom, what if it me, we, meaning humanity, uh, I mean, you, you get to fill in the blanks any way you want to, but what if we saw this and did that? What might it look like? So uh, it's more, really, I'm kind of asking for an activist imagination in this. So turn to prayers of the people. Your, your typical uh, part is uh, the, the, the italicized, bold um, phrases there, if you'll pray with me. In peace, we pray to you, Lord God. Here you might want to just breathe in and breathe out quietly. Get a sense of your body being present in this prayer. Uh, Breathe consciously for a moment. Uh, Be here fully. For all people in their daily life and work, for our neighbors, friends, and neighbors, and for those who are alone, for this community, the nation, and the world, for all who work for justice, freedom, and peace, for the just and proper use of your creation, for the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression, for all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble, for those who minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy, for the peace and unity of the Church of God, for all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth, for the special needs and concerns of this congregation. Let's sit in silence on this. As you're sitting there breathing, make yourself aware as you can be of of needs that are in our community. Uh, Remind yourself of those needs. Hear us, Lord, for your mercy is great. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings of this life. And again, I'm going to give you a moment to sit in silence. And, uh, and it's another imagination-invoking moment to, to remember in gratitude um, that which you're thankful for, the interventions of, of, of God, the acts of mercy through God's people, the, the, the common just uh, acts of goodness that are a part of our lives.
We exalt you, O God, our King, and praise your name forever and ever. We pray for all who have died, that they may have a place in your eternal kingdom. Lord, let your loving kindness be upon them, but their trust in you. We pray to you also for the forgiveness of our sins. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, things done and left undone. And so uphold us by your Spirit, that we may live and serve you in newness of life, to the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I went to uh, college, um, and uh, a lot of musicians don't necessarily necessarily go to college, um, and uh, there's some great stories that way. My parents aren't really sure why I went to college in terms of what I did with that, Um, but I was a history major, and uh, one of the things I learned about history is that, you know, many of you already know this, uh, but history is written by the victors or the powerful generally. It's hard to find history that are written by people that weren't either in power or people who uh, lost in some kind of battle. And so uh, this song, uh, Baloney Again, is uh, sort of a goofy title, but Mark Knopfler is a really um, good songwriter and astute uh, kind of uh, researcher of people and uh, someone who, who cares about different stories. And on a record from a few years ago, he was writing about American culture, and he came across this um, story that many of us don't know that um, we've probably all heard that rock and roll came from somewhere and maybe it had some you know black roots but really it was black gospel groups that were traveling in their cars just going to different gospel uh, back backwoods churches and small places where you know they would sing and, and a lot of this music developed that became rock and roll that we learn from people like um, Elvis and Jerry Lewis and people like that. This came from these black gospel groups that basically couldn't eat in white restaurants, couldn't really travel the, the main roads because they kind of had to stay out of the way. And um, so this entire culture of rock and roll that's uh, ended up in, you know, the Lady Gaga and wherever else we are now came from these folks that are in this song. And so I think as we think about how we um, don't have imagination in certain places, uh, as Tim was saying earlier, because we don't even know the prisons we're in, we, we don't even know the story of a lot of these people because we've never been told about how that is. And so I hope this uh, is something that spurs your imagination, both to, to know people that you don't know right now or to continue to get to know people that you're just learning about their life and their culture. We're eating in the car Baloney again Baloney again We don't sleep in no white hotel bed We're sleeping in the car Baloney again Oh We don't strut around in these country towns You best stay in the car Look ahead, don't stare around You best stay where you are You're a long way from home Don't push your luck too far Baloney again 
For 22 years we've sung the word Since 1931 Amen Say amen now the young folk want to praise the Lord with guitar, bass, and drum. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll never get tired of Jesus. It's been a heavy load. Carrying His precious love down a long, dark road. And we're a long way from home. Let's just pay the man and go. The Lord is my shepherd, he leadeth me in pastures green. He gave us this day our daily bread and our gasoline. Go under the willow, park her up beside the stream. Shoulders for pillows, lay down your head and dream. You got shoulders for pillows, lay down your head and dream. in some ways we're asking you tonight just to lay your head down and dream for a moment and the idea that um, in your life that you've lived with an awareness of the presence of God and for all of us this mindset that God speaks in a variety of ways and what are you dreaming about? What are, what are, what are dreams that move themselves out of the, the story that says there's not love, there's not redemption, there must be these things in the world that we live in? What are some of the dreams that, that you have? Uh, what have, I understand, asking you to sit in imagination for 12 minutes is, is not easy to do, but I would truly suggest that, that if you're looking for a framework to spiritual formation and to spiritual practice, that would be one of the best things that you could do is to, to sit and dream, to, to let the gospel kind of invoke your thoughts. So it, it, imaginations from any of you. Oh, Josh. This is not uh, sort of a, a specific thing, but I think something that I've become more and more convicted about, uh, especially because of sort of the way our political system works, is to try and enter into conversations that are not framed in sort of zero-sum ways. Uh, and I think you mentioned this sort of war language that so often gets evoked in, in nearly every aspect of culture. Um, so that whether it's like the GOP's war on women or Hillary Rosen's war on housewives or all of these different things, once you've evoked a metaphor of war, someone has to win and someone has to lose. Um, and I think that so often what the, the gospel sort of teaches us is that, that that logic, there's a different economy that doesn't reinforce that type of logic. That there actually it may be another way where we sort of all participate in something larger. Um, and and there don't have to be losers and victors, but rather there can be sort of the children of God as this blanket category that breaks outside of all of these binaries we want to put it in. Um, so I think 
in a broad sense, is something that I'm, I would love to see happen. Dialogue, Dan and I wrote this in Free For All, dialogue is a spiritual practice. It's one that rejects that binary. It's one that we're not trained to do well, but it's one that is in, in itself. Uh, and you imagine every time Jesus got asked a question, he told a story, he invoked a dialogue. And thank you. Denise, I, I want to alert you to this. You can jump in now or in, in a moment or two, but you, you had, we had talked earlier this week that I thought was really helpful about some imagination that you have in terms of this community and its relationship with ABC. So, so it kind of piggybacks on what Josh was saying, just in our language of war and like the war on drugs, and that leads us to the justice system. And there are some people making lots of money off of prisons, and... Um, there are lots of people, especially minorities, who are being put down by laws that are um, trying to keep a certain group of people off the street. And so, in working with Antioch Builds Community, um, it's been a great privilege to be around Michael Page's leadership in this area of what can we do for people who have been in the prison system and are now out and ready to re-enter community and be a tax-paying, law-abiding citizen, and it's very difficult because our prison system isn't often geared to reform, and so what Michael Page has done through Antioch Builds Community is try to care for these people who are coming out by giving them a place to stay, because if you're going to apply for a job, you need an address to write down, and if you leave prison and you don't have a big bank account from before, you might leave with $40 and you have to make it. And without committing any other crime, it's hard to imagine then, especially if you have a record and employers don't want to hire you because of that. So um, through this, you know, we have a house um, on Hyde Park where four people have lived. Um, they have six months to a year to get a job. and. Um, that's difficult in a tough economy as well. Um, and so we're just hoping that with Emmaus Way, maybe we can provide um, a tiny bit of income, but also job reference, um, because we also have a need here of setting up. Um, and, you know, Wade a lot of times put up all these speakers and people put up lots of chairs. So trying to get somebody who can connect it to the ABC house, who can come and help us with setup and in return get um, some income, a good reference. And Antioch also has a dream of finding another house. There's a house right across the street from the church for sale, um, but it's $100,000, and I think we have $3,000 in our account. But then just to build more connections, because the house is about a mile from the church, and you just need to keep your eye on things. <laughs> um, so anyway, just there, that came out of um, a long time of just getting to know the community and the needs. I was hoping that it would kind of go in the direction of education, because that's my passion. And of course, that's a need. But seeing the resources around, and um, you know, this came from people coming up to Pastor Page on the street and saying, hey, can I have a dollar? And he's like, why, don't, why do you need money? Well, I don't have a job. Well, why don't you have a job? And so I think just listening to people's stories sometimes leads you in a different direction than where you intend to go. 
This is an area we've had a long friendship with Antioch Baptist Church and uh, other communities that have been a part of this. And Denise has worked with them for maybe 10 years, 10 or 11 years. But uh, I was just so excited. Our, uh, this kind of brewed out of Denise and kind of our lead team community. Ben probably could tell me more where, where that conversation began originally. But I was excited that the people who lead this community were doing that kind of imagination and thinking, wow, I mean, this is, I mean, one of the challenges. I, I, I was at a beautiful church that is kind of an inspiring sister church of ours in um, Minnesota this week and realized, gosh, how much we could do if we didn't have to move in and move out every week. It's a challenge sometimes, but this is a way that kind of offers something that's a, a, a way to get help in a, in, a, in a way that's redemptive. So thank you for thinking about that. I, I, I hope that really develops as a possibility. Other words of imagination. It doesn't always have to relate to this community, but things that you're imagining, things that you're leaning into, things you're hoping for. Yeah. Tim, uh, you know, we've been playing a lot of shows lately, and I'm... I'm uh, you know, you've got to talk about, you've got to say something in between songs. And it, it's, not, it's not something I particularly enjoy, but I've got to figure out what to, what to say. And, uh, you know, I, the songs themselves are, like, rooted in, in hope. And ultimately, that's what I'm trying to communicate. Hope for a just economic system. Hope for people to live in plenty instead of scarcity. You know, a hope that our children will will grow up and, and be something beautiful and not get beat down by the world that we live in. Um, and, and that's really what I want to point to all the time, whether I'm talking or playing, singing, whatever. But I, I feel, I'm, I'm, I'm not that hopeful about that because we play so much in, in these clubs, and I, I feel like people as as people in general on the street um, are cynical and they're not hopeful and and to speak hope into cynicism I, I haven't figured out how to do it all I can come up with is just to be cynical myself and and try to make jokes that I think that you know they'll they'll keep paying attention but um, you know I feel like that's an issue that whether you're performing you know in a club or whatever it's like how do you how do you engage with this world in a hopeful way when there's not much hope you know cynicism might be one of the most powerful forces of what I called contradictory consciousness. I mean, if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, try to go through school. It doesn't matter whether you're like, the, you know, what group you're in, but just try to go through as a hopeful person and see how that feels. Uh, you know, uh, listen to sports talk radio or political talk radio, and you're not a person of substance. If you're not deeply cynical, I find this kind of going around the first poll on a doctoral program where lovely people doing critical theory and it's and the deconstructions are amazing. But I sit here as kind of a, a, a God follower going, this compels me to speak a, a language of hope because we're, we're a hopeful people. Uh, I had a good friend who's a theologian say, you know, this whole thing we're a part of is really a passionate commitment to contextuality, that context matter. 
and that we're responding to context with hope. That's what you guys are doing there with, with ABC. Thank you, Jesse. Anybody else? Uh, an, an, an imagination. I want this conversation to not end in two minutes. I want it to happen continually around the table. And I'm invoking this conversation for our community going forward. But, but anybody else? funny, this paper that I've told you about, I entitled it The Lonesome Jubilee because I was framing this kind of conversation in our, our culture about um, inequality with the gospel notion of the jubilee, which uh, was not practiced very well in Israel. And when Jesus got his first First gig, <laughs> first time that he got to speak between a couple of songs, he read Isaiah and he said... The Jubilee is happening now. That's the very political, social, um, uh, gospel message that he grabbed on. And what Jesse and others are saying is that we live in a world where the Jubilee is deeply lonesome. It's not practiced. But that's, what, that's the privilege that we have is to be people who embody that Jubilee in our friendships, in our relationships, in, in our economics, in our vocations. And those are all heavy and weighty decisions. And I can say as a parent of a couple of high schoolers, there's 99% of my yap related to the future often forgets the notion of Jubilee because it's frightening. So we are, we are people of that jubilee. And I invite you to continue thinking about that. This is some of the most lovely people I have ever met in my life in terms of your commitments to the gospel, the way you think about it, the way you push back on things, the way that you're willing to lean into the things that you're passionate about. So that is always a hopeful conversation for me. So, Wade, I think you are going to uh, lead us into a couple songs of responses. Yeah. And Amy, you're taking us to the table. Is that right? Yeah. So our first song of response is sort of confessional, and I'll teach you the chorus because it really is the whole song centers around this idea that to begin this imagination, uh, as it says in our First John passage, we have to be able to love each other. And I think um, this is a song that's sort of born out of frustration with saying, I don't know how to get along, but I want to get closer. So I'll teach you the chorus. Get closer to you now. Wanna get closer to you now. So if y'all wanna sing along with me, wanna get closer to you now. Wanna get closer to you now. Went out on the street for a walk in the night. Had to loosen my head. It's been wound too tight. And standing on the edge of picking a fight with you. Sometimes my world seems so damn small I can't think of nothing except for me at all The thoughts surround me like a prison wall It's true I want to get closer to you now I want to get closer to you now One more time I want to get closer to you now 
Takes all my strength to slow myself down My thoughts are screaming, I can't hear a sound Sometimes I wish there was no one around but you Oh, tell me you know what I'm talking about Sometimes you're sold by confusion and doubt It hurts so bad, you just want to shout I'm through I want to get closer to you now I wanna get closer to you now. I wanna get closer to you now. I wanna get closer to you now. Well, please excuse these things I might have said. You see, they come from my frustrations, not my head. Yeah, and the last thing that I wanna do. Is create a distance between me and you. I wanna get closer to you now. 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 This seem to be two states of mind One is visionary, the other blind The best that we can hope to find Is to meet somewhere in between Well, the night air has pulled me back a bit Just when I was about to quit I'm trying to get a candle lit That lets me see what can't be seen I want to get closer to you now I want to get closer to you now get closer to you now I want to get closer to you now I want to get closer to you now probably heard the story of Ezekiel's dry bones and uh, that Old Testament vision of the visions getting flesh on him again and um, Mark Hurt has written a song that I think helps us with this idea of how to have new dreams and new visions but also how hard it is for us to do that. of a no man's land friends and lovers in the cold cold ground but every now and then I seem to dream these dreams where the mute ones speak and the deaf ones sing we're touching that miraculous circumstance where the blind ones see and the dry bones dance so sing with me every now and then every now and then I seem to dream these dreams Where the mute ones speak and the deaf ones sing 
Touching that miraculous circumstance Where the blind ones see and the dry bones dance We'll come back Well, everyone surrenders to the brave new scarecrows And waits for them to hand us cigarettes and blindfolds The firing squad Paper fills the cracks In the wailing wall So every now and then I seem to dream these dreams Where the dead ones move And the hurt ones heal And we're touching that miraculous circumstance Where the blind ones see And the dry bones dance Yeah, well I'm gone thing I've never seen But in my dreams You spend your life and you live to tell Tarnished coins in the wishing And the slaves go free And we're touching that miraculous circumstance Where the blind ones see and the dry bones dance So every now and then, every now and then I seem to dream those dreams Where the orphans suckle and the slaves go Touching that miraculous circumstance Where the blind ones see the dry bones dance Yeah, the dry bones dance at the text that we've uh, looked at tonight in 1 John, you might notice there is a bit of a, um, a rub, a bit of a, uh, a conflict. We're called to abide in love, to remain, to stay steadfast, but yet we're called to also resist, to work against the powers around us, to work against the uh, societies that crush, the culture that enslaves how do we do both? How do we remain in a place and actively work? How do we resist powers but stay around people who might um, challenge us, wear us down, make us want to do everything but stay? How do we abide in those relationships? I think about what we do at the table every week and how we see that rub. How at the table we are actively pouring wine and juice and breaking bread for one another, saying, 
that Christ has come into the world to free us from sin. Christ has come into the world to tell the story of God's redemption. And you come back every week, and we abide in that. It's a funny thing to think about all of this energy, all of this kinetic energy resting. But that is the miracle and the beauty that happens at the table each week. In this place, we are challenged and accepted and allowed to do just that. We are invited to be resistors. We are invited to be peacekeepers. Now, for those of you that have seen or read The Hunger Games, being the peacekeepers is probably not the most ideal. Those are the people that kind of kept the status quo. But here it means something very, very different. In this place and at this table, we are invited to, with all our might, with all of our power and all of our work, to abide in God's love and God's love for one another. So I invite you to do that tonight. I invite you to a table that where all are welcome, a table that actively resists all sorts of labels and stereotypes that resists gender and sexuality and color and race, but that also says all of those things matter and all of you should stay. So I invite you to come to eat, to drink with one another, and to actively participate in God's beautiful rest. Hey guys, if you want to take a quick look at your lyrics, we're going to do a song of benediction here. It's uh, When the Saints Go Marching in a Sarah Groves version, and uh, I think it talks a lot about this redemptive hope that we're doing. So uh, if you want to join me, uh, you're welcome. burden of all I've seen and know. It's more than I can handle, but your word is burning like a fire. Shut up in my bones, and I can't let it go. When I'm weary and overwrought, so many battles left unfought. I think of Paul and Silas in the prison yard. I hear their songs of freedom rising to the stars. When the saints go marching in, I want to be one of them. Oh yeah, want to be one of them. Lord, it's all that I can carry. I'd leave behind it often overwhelms me but when I think of all who've gone before and lived a faithful life their courage compels me when I'm weary I'm overrun so many battles left unfought I think of Paul and Silas in the prison yard I hear the songs of 
freedom Rising to the stars I see the shepherd Moses in the Pharaoh's court Hear his call for freedom People love the Lord And when the saints go marching in I want to be one of them And when the saints go marching in I want to be one of them want to be one of them And I see the long quiet walk along the underground railroad See the slave awakening to the value of a soul See the young missionary and the angry spear See his family returning with no trace of fear See the long hard shadows of Calcutta nights I see the sisters standing by the dying man's side See the young girl huddled on the brothel floor The man with the passion come and kicking down the door See the man of sorrows, his long troubled road I see the world on his shoulders and my easy load When the saints were marching in, I want to be one of them Yeah, when the saints go marching in, I want to be one of I want to be one of them We want to be some of them Y'all have a good week. Blessings. Thanks for being here.